If you have your Bible, uh, you can open up to 1 John. Uh, we are continuing our way through 1 John after beginning last week. We'll pick up with verse 5 in just a moment. Um, but yeah, last week we jumped in to 1 John. We're going to be journeying through this letter throughout this fall. And last week we highlighted one of the major themes in this book. And it's simply this, who God is determines who we are. Who God is determines who we are. Uh, there are a number of ways that John emphasizes this throughout the letter, and we looked at a few of them last week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, first, multiple times throughout the letter, John describes who God is. Uh, we've already uh, kind of heard this a little bit this morning, but there are multiple times where John says, God is blank. And he, he describes who God is. He says, God is light. God is love. And so John is emphasizing, this is who God is. But also throughout the book, there are a number of times that John addresses his audience. And he does so with some really powerful identity language. And we looked at that last week. Uh, there are two primary words that John uses to, to address his audience. Uh, many times throughout the book, he, he says, beloved. Hey, beloved, this is what you, you are to hear. You know, beloved, I'm, I'm talking to you, right? And then the other word he uses is children, my little children, uh, right? And so as we read the book of 1 John over and over again, this idea is ingrained into us that we are beloved children of God right? God is light. God is love. We are beloved children. Who God is determines who we are. And there's a word that's used over and over again to describe the connection between these two things throughout 1 John, and it's the word abide. This word is used more than a dozen times throughout the book. Uh, he uses words like fellowship and abide to describe our connection with God. We abide in God, and God abides in us. So who God is determines who we are, right? And we see this over and over again. You know, the description of God, the address to us, the, the call to abide. And we see every single one of these things in our passage today as we continue reading 1 John together. And so I, I want you to listen for these as we read together. We are God's beloved, he, who he is, and this call to fellowship and abiding. So let's begin 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and we do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are light. And in you, there is no darkness at all. We thank you that you've called us beloved children. Help us to rest in that today. As we read the words of these scriptures, of this passage, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I reflected on this passage this week, I, I remembered this little plant that I used to own. If you can see it there, I'm just kind of a little, little green scraggly plant uh, sitting on a, a windowsill of an apartment I used to live in. When Caitlin and I were dating several years ago, we would often go on little adventures together in, in little places. And one day in the midst of one of these adventures, we made a stop at a store to get some snacks. Uh, and, and the place we stopped at was one of those little sort of niche grocery stores, local places, you know, that kind of has a little bit of everything. There were plants, gardening supplies, lots of kind of organic special groceries and stuff like that, random little gift things. It was a fun place to just sort of wander around. Uh, but once we got the snacks that we wanted and were ready to go, uh, we went to check out. And as we were checking out, the cashier motioned to some little plants sitting on the counter. Uh, and the, you know, each one had roots kind of in a clump of dirt in a little plastic bag. And he motioned towards these and, and asked us, do you want a tree? And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, sure, why not? You know, and so we each took 
a tree. And so our adventure that day got us little trees as souvenirs uh, to bring home. And so we put them in little pots and, and brought them to each of our homes to take care of. I was living in this little apartment at the time. And so I kept mine in sort of the small living room at the front of my apartment and uh, would sort of move it around between a shelf in the middle of the room and the windowsill where it is in this photo. Um, and uh, I think Caitlin uh, kept hers mostly on the back porch. She was living in uh, a small house at the time. And we took care of these trees, uh, these little souvenirs that we brought home. Now, these were actual trees, right? And so, I mean, theoretically, they have a pretty long lifespan, right? Trees do that. Uh, but I was the one taking care of this tree. Uh, so I, I don't really remember what the ultimate downfall was. Maybe I was out of town on a trip, you know, and I just sort of, you know, it was living by itself, neglected in my dark apartment for too long. Or maybe I just, just wasn't attentive enough. But eventually, this little miniature evergreen started turning a little red. And then that red turned to brown. And I, I tried really hard to revive it, and it just did not go anywhere. Uh, and so the tree did not survive. I think Caitlin's fared much better, not only because it was living out on her back porch, but just because she was the one taking care of it. Uh, much better job. But I remember this story because plants need at least two things to survive. It, you know, do you remember elementary school biology? Right? They need light and they need water. Right? Uh, and, and I must have you know, not given it at least one of those uh, for too long, or maybe given it too much of one. But plants need light and water in order to grow. And the very same thing is true for us. The same thing is true for us in our own walk of faith, our own spiritual life. We need the light of God and the cleansing of Jesus in order to grow. We need this in order to grow. And this is exactly what we see in our passage today. The light of God, the cleansing of Jesus, and the goal of growth. And so the passage begins with the light of God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. This is the foundation on which the rest of the passage is built. It begins with who God is. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, what exactly does that mean? Right? I mean, that's, that's sort of this poetic image uh, and it's captivating for sure, but what does that mean? Well, throughout the rest of the passage, John continues to tease this out by introducing additional kinds of contrasts, right? We, we see this multiple times. First, there is light and dark. But as we kept reading, well, there is also truth and lies. And then there is righteousness and sin, Right? Each one of these contrasts is meant to add depth to the others that have been mentioned before it. And so darkness 
goes with lying, deceit, and sin. But light is described by truth, fellowship, and righteousness. And so when John declares God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, he is saying that God is honest and true. God is righteous and good. There is no sin, no deceit, no malice whatsoever in God. No darkness at all. This is who God is. And this is who we are called to be. Right? Verse 7 calls us also to walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Now, I want to ask, did any of you lose power from the windstorm this weekend? A few? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, was, it was crazy, right? It was kind of a, especially after, you know, months of nothing, maybe a little drizzle, right? Bang! This weekend happened, right? It blew in through on Friday nights with this heavy rain and strong wind. And my parents were in town, along with my uh, younger brother, and they were staying at our house this weekend. Uh, and so, you know, we, we actually all went out on the front porch to kind of watch the rain and, and kind of see everything. And uh, I mean, it was, it was crazy. There was this huge tree limb that fell right in front of, of our house, and it landed about just a few feet in front of Caitlin's car. And fortunately, it was fine. There was just a little bit of a dent in our fence and everything's okay. But, I mean, it was, it was wild and, and, and this loud crack, and there it came. Uh, and we managed to keep power through most of the storm. But early yesterday morning, the power went out. You know, I, I, I think I heard kind of this little pop outside, probably a transformer or something uh, that was blowing. And then the fan in our room went out and there was just silence, right? And so, you know, and I was, of course, wide awake at this point and I, well, you know, left the room, grabbed my phone, looked around, reported the outage, all of that stuff. And just a moment later, my dad wakes up and wanders out. The two of us are both early risers. Naturally, we, we love, especially when we're together, getting up early in the morning and sitting together, drinking coffee, having conversation, so on and so forth. But there was just one problem. It was dark. We couldn't really see anything. Also, we couldn't make coffee. That's a huge problem. Um, so I rummaged around and grabbed some candles and things, and we lit candles in our living room and kitchen so we could see a little bit. And then I, I also rummaged through and found a, a camping stove that I had so we could boil water and have coffee, because that's essential. Uh, and my dad and I managed to carry on in the, the dark with the candles without much, you know, without power on. Now, we needed light. We needed to light those candles because it was dark and we couldn't see, right? I mean, this is what darkness does. It, you can't see. It's dark. And this is why we needed the, the candles, but but this is also the exact same reason why there are many people who like the darkness, who prefer darkness. Uh, later on yesterday, I made some tea and sat down for some afternoon reading, you know, next to the window with this pitter-patter of rain on the outside. There's nothing better than that. 
and I was reading this sort of short mystery story. And in it, one character was accused of murder and another was accused of blackmail. And after this sort of tense moment, the narrator describes the whole air was dense with the morbidity of blackmail, which is the most morbid of human things because it is a crime concealing a crime. A black plaster on a blacker wound. And that line stuck with me, right? I mean, that's something to ponder for a little bit. But this is an example of choosing darkness over light, right? You see, some desire the dark because they want to hide. They want to conceal something. The Gospel of John puts it this way. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. See, this is the exact same theme that John is touching on in this passage of 1 John. If we say that we have fellowship with God while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. You see, walking in darkness keeps us from fellowship with God, and it also destroys fellowship with one another, as it goes on to, to say in verse 7. And now, something important to note as we consider this idea of walking in darkness is that throughout the passage, walking in darkness does not refer primarily to doing evil, but to concealing evil. And there's a difference, right? It's all about saying one thing while doing another. It's about lying and deception. It's about covering things up. And I think there are two primary reasons for hiding and for covering things up. Uh, pride and shame. Pride and shame, which really are more related to one another than many of us realize. Both of them are rooted in a wrong understanding of God and a wrong understanding of ourselves. You see, on the one hand, pride causes us to act as if we were God. You know, as if we are the ones without sin or fault. We are the ones who are the light. So any sin or wrongdoing that may have been committed well, has to be covered up or, or explained away or, or something, right? Someone living in this kind of darkness always has their guard up a little bit. You know, often responds very defensively, well, I didn't do that. You know, or, uh, you know, but my intention was this. Now, in the name of being honest and, and walking in the light, I'm going to confess this morning, I struggle with this quite a bit. You know, I want to be perfect. I want to be blameless. And so, you know, in my sin, I often respond to criticism or correction with defensiveness. Oh, no, I, I didn't mean that. Oh, I didn't actually do that, right? 
You know, poor Caitlin has had to put up with that a lot. Is there anyone else who's wrestled with this kind of response, this kind of, of way of responding to things? Ironically, I think that Christians in particular struggle with this. Because the last thing you want in church is to be accused of sin, right? You know, that, I mean, theoretically, we will all admit that, of course, everyone sins. Everyone does wrong. But the moment that you're looking at your sin, oh, no, no, no. That's, that's not me, right? I didn't do that, right? Defenses, excuses, explanations, left and right, anything but humility or confession. You know, this kind of response, I think, has, has made Christians pretty unpleasant people to be around. Pretty unpleasant people, uh, especially in the eyes of the world, right? Christians are just a, bit, a defensive, argumentative, stubborn bunch of people. And we really should be the first to admit our wrongdoing. We should be the first to confess our sins. We should be the first to ask for forgiveness. But instead, we've often sort of joined in with the world's game of managing our image, making sure that we look right. You know, all too often, we are far more practiced at reputation than repentance. And at its root, this is a wrong understanding of God. Because we are acting as though we are God. As though we are the ones that everything's okay with. But on, on the other hand, there, there's another reason why we often cover up or hide, and that is shame, right? Which is also, I think, rooted in a wrong understanding of God and of ourselves, right? It's a rejection of that beloved children that we are in God's sight. And this, it's not that we mistake ourselves for God, but rather mistake the character of God. Instead of pretending like we don't have any darkness, we assume that God has some kind of a dark side to himself. We hide because we think God is angry. God is vengeful. God is out to get me. And we hide in shame, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. But I want you to think back to that moment, right? What does God do after he finds them in the garden? What does he do? The Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife, and he clothed them. God did not abandon them. He did not destroy them. He did not, you know, put them to shame. He covered them. He clothed them. And that is exactly what it says here in our passage, 1 John verse 9. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us 
our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He repeats it again in chapter 2. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God responds to that sin by covering us. And, and so here's what we see. Regardless of how we respond, it seems like our sins are going to be covered. Either we are going to cover them up ourselves, and they'll fester and get worse, and you know, we'll wander around in pride or shame, or we uncover them, and God will cover them for us. God will cleanse our sins. God will clothe us with his righteousness. You see, our sins are going to be covered. But do we want to be the ones covering them? Or do we want to let God be the one who covers them? You see, we need light in order to grow. Just like that tree that didn't make it. And if we don't live in the light, then our sins are going to fester and we will grow dry just like that tree did. The light of God brings healing and cleansing to us. If only we step into it. And so how do we step in to that light? Well, we, we see this in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, the key here is confession. Confession, which is the absolute opposite of covering up, of deceit, of hiding, of living in darkness. Confession is stepping into the light. But a lot of times we, we have kind of some, some wild pictures of confession, right? I mean, you, you can kind of imagine a you know, confession booth where there's like a priest on one side and someone steps in and you know, lists off all of their sins and such. I mean, that, that is a way to do confession, but that's not ultimately what confession is. Uh, that's, that's a picture, but not the ultimate picture. The, the word confession uh, is, is a really powerful word. The, the Greek word for it is homologeo. Homologeo, which you might recognize some of those roots. You know, the first part of that is, is homo, like the word homogenous, right? The, when, when everything is the same, right? Something is homogenous. And then the, the latter part of the word is logeo, which you might recognize the word logos, translated word. Logeo means to speak or to say a word. And so homologeo is to say the same word that God says about something. To confess is to agree with God. To confess is not to wander around in shame and guilt and say, oh man, I'm such a sinner. Rather, confession is about being honest 
It's about saying the same thing that God says, which might include, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. But also includes, I'm a beloved child of God. And his, he has covered my sin. I'm confessing so I can be cleansed of sin. Right? Confession is not so much about churning up a bunch of guilt or listing off everything we've ever done wrong, but about just being honest people who live in agreement with God, who God is, and what God has done. Confession is, is about having the humility to admit that we need God. We need light. We need cleansing. And it's about trusting that God is good and will cleanse and will forgive. This is what confession is. But there are really practical ways to confess. You know, it's important for us to confess to God. But I think there's also something about confessing to one another as well. You know, in the book of James, it says that if you confess your sins, you'll be healed, right? You know, confessing our sins to God leads to forgiveness, but I think confessing our sins to one another can lead to much deeper healing. To be able to look at one another and say, hey, I've done wrong, and trusting that we can still be held in love by one another that we can be loved and known. We don't have to hide ourselves to be loved, right? This is what confession is all about. You know, uh, earlier this year when we were asking a lot of questions about, hey, who are we as a church? Where are we headed as we come back out of, you know, being apart for so long and, and all of that? Um, one of the things that, that rose to the top is the importance of being able to share stories with one another. Uh, and there's a small group this summer that has gotten together to kind of try that out. To say, hey, what, what does it look like to actually get together and share stories about our lives together? And, and we've been doing this for a few, uh, cu past couple of months, really. Uh, and it's been a really powerful thing. But uh, the last time that we met, we were reflecting on what it is like to share stories with one another. And one person spoke up and said, you know, I think that this is what confession is all about. And it totally is. It's not just about saying, here are all the things I've done wrong, but it's about, here's who I am. Here's my story. There are parts of it that I may not be proud of. There are parts of it where I've been deeply wounded. But this is who I am. Let me tell you the truth. That's what confession is all about, telling the truth. It's not about being perfect. It's about being honest. We can't be perfect, right? That's the whole point, right? If anyone sins, you know, if, if we say that we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But if anyone does sin, let them confess their sins because Jesus is faithful and he is just 
And he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I hope we can become a people who don't live under the weight of needing to be perfect all the time. And and don't become immediately defensive when we've fallen short of that. But rather, people who can be honest. Honest with God. Honest with one another. That's what it is to live in the light. That's what it is to confess. To say the same word as God says. You know, this could be a great place to sort of wrap up the sermon and finish, but, but there's, there's a little bit more. Because the goal of this passage ultimately is not that forgiveness of sin and that um, cleansing, right? That's something that is needed to get to the goal of this passage, right? If, if you look where we started, you know, we had the word walk show up a few times, walking in darkness, walking in the light. But the word walk shows up again towards the end of our passage. The last verse that we read, chapter 2, verse 6, walking just as he walked, right? That's the goal. That's the goal. Whenever you have, you know, that tree, it needs light and it needs water. But light and water are not the point. The point is growth. The point is life. And that's our purpose as God's people. Growing in God, living truly. That's what the passage goes on to say. Verse Chapter 2, verse 3, Now by this we may be sure that we know him. If we obey his commandments. If we abide in him, if we walk as he walked, that's the goal that we're shooting for. Too often in in churches and as Christians, we have thought that the goal of our life is to not sin. That's not the goal, right? That's only half of the gospel. Jesus died for your sins, but that's not where it ends. He rose again. On the third day, so that we might rise with him and live truly. The goal is not just to not sin. The goal is to walk as he walked, to live as he lived, to be his hands and feet in the world. Now, it can be very easy for us when we read a verse like chapter 2, verse 3, uh, by this we may know that we be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. We can read that and very quickly become legalistic. Oh no, I have to follow all the rules in order to be sure that, that I know him. But I want to be clear. John tells us what he means when he says obey his commandments. In chapter 3, John says this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That's his commandments. Believe in Jesus and love one another. Trust Jesus and be transformed by his love. That's how we know that we know him. We become people who trust him 
And we become people who respond in love, who walk as he walked, who live as he lived. And so, as we come to a close here, I, I want to move toward a posture of confession. And so, whatever that posture might be, you know, if, if you want to bow your heads or maybe open your hands in front of you, I want to spend a moment in prayer. Because confession is how we step into the light. And that's how we begin to truly live as he lived and walk as he walked. And so, let's enter a time of prayer. Lord, we confess that we are not God. And we are sorry for the many times that we have pretended like we were. The times that we have responded with defensiveness, maintaining our reputation instead of repentance. And God, we also confess the times that we have lived in shame. We've been afraid to show up in front of our brothers and sisters. We've been afraid to approach you. Lord, you are light. In you, there is no darkness at all. Help us step into your light to live honestly and truly so that we might be transformed to live as you live, to walk as you walked, that we might be a people who abide in you. I want to invite you to pray aloud with me this prayer of confession that's on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.